0: listening to So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast about the world of writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm your co-host. I'm also CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find writing courses, resources and an incredibly supportive writing community. I usually co-host this podcast every week with Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate. Her latest book is The Wolf's Howl but she's got this episode off because it's one of our in-between episodes. So this is a story session, just you, me, and our guest author of the week. Here you'll hear the first chapter of a book that we recommend read by the author themselves, along with some insights into their writing life and their creative process. We're bringing the literary salon to you, and you don't have to leave the house. You can do it while you're doing the laundry. You can listen to it while you're on the bus or wherever. This week I've chosen... Below Deck by Sophie Hardcastle. This is Sophie's first adult fiction novel, although she has also published a memoir, Running Like China, about her experiences with mental illness, and a YA, young adult, novel, Breathing Underwater. Just like in those books, Sophie doesn't shy away from painful subjects, but always with a sense of healing or redemption. Below Deck is a powerful and haunting book with beautiful language that is guaranteed to move you. Here is the blurb from the book so you can hear a little bit about what the book is about. 21-year-old Olivia hears the world in colour, but her life is mottled grey. Estranged from her parents and living with her grandfather, who is drowning in sadness, Ollie faces the reality of life beyond university alone. When she wakes on a boat with no recollection of how she got there, she accepts the help of two strangers who change the course of her future forever. With Mac and Maggie, Ollie learns to navigate a life upon open ocean and the world flowers into colours she's never seen before. Four years later, Ollie, fluent in the language of the sea, is the only woman among men on a yacht delivery from Noumea to Auckland. In The Darkness Below Deck, she learns that at sea, no one can hear you scream. Moving to London, Ollie's life at sea is buried. When she meets Hugo, the wind changes and her memories are dust blown into shapes, reminding her of everything. Below Deck is about the moments that haunt us, the moments that fan out like ripples through the deep so that everything else becomes everything after. Before she reads the prologue and first chapter from her novel, Sophie has answered some questions about her writing process. Now, as you can glean from the blurb, the book does deal with confronting issues, which Sophie touches on in her introduction. So if you're listening with younger listeners, you may want to skip ahead about 90 seconds. Or if you feel this may be triggering for you, you may need to skip ahead about 90 seconds. This is a stunning book from a powerful young voice in Australian literature. So here is Sophie Hardcastle and her novel, Below Deck. Hi, my name is Sophie
1: Hardcastle and I'm the author of Below Deck. Valerie asked me to record the answers to some questions before I narrate the first chapter. So here we go. What inspired me to write this story? Below Deck started with a simple question. In 2017, I disclosed a sexual assault to someone I knew and they responded with the question, but if you didn't want it, why didn't you just scream? Later that year, as Me Too, a hashtag that had been coined a decade earlier by Tarana Burke exploded across the world. I wrote a Facebook status contemplating the reasons why people who experience sexual violence don't always scream. I then turned this status into an essay, considering the ways that fear silences us. The essay was published in a journal, but that question, that initial question was still lingering. If you didn't want it, why didn't you just scream? And so I set about writing a novel that would soon become Below Deck. A story that crosses four oceans and three continents about a girl working on a yacht throughout her 20s who experiences sexual violence at sea and is shamed for it. Below Deck is an interrogation of rape culture and the myths that sustain it. Ultimately, it reminds us that it is possible to regain authorship of your own story. The next question is, can you describe your writing process? Writing grounds me and relaxes me. It also excites me. I'm a pretty disciplined writer. I set hours during the week and typically don't write on the weekends. I have always treated it seriously, well before I was making any money from writing. People told me early on that it was going to be difficult to make a living out of writing. But I felt and continue to feel that writing sustains me and in many ways it is how I live a fulfilling life. I write on my laptop at a desk in the corner of my room. Ideally, I'd write in a library, but that isn't always an option these days. I rarely get writer's block, but if I do, I turn to reading other books or I paint as it helps me to explore the story without any words. The next question is, what was the most challenging aspect of writing this book? I drew off a lot of personal experience writing Below Deck at times This story made me feel sick to my stomach. It was incredibly painful, but ultimately liberating. Like the ocean, this story had the potential to drown me, but it was also the place where I ultimately found freedom. Next question is, what was the most rewarding aspect of writing this book? The most rewarding aspect of writing Below Deck was taking control of my own story. That's the beautiful thing about fiction. You can change the ending. In real life, there was only lingering, that incessant hanging on. But in Below Deck, I was able to sail, if you like, over the horizon into unknown waters where I rewrote the ending and found my resolution. So, the final question is What are your top three tips for aspiring writers? My first tip is read widely and with great enthusiasm. My second tip is write without the desire for perfection. Because it won't be perfect and that's okay. Just remember you can't edit a blank page. And finally, thirdly, write with heart the story that you want to tell. I think it's important not to focus too much on who the audience will be and instead to focus on why this story is important to you and unique to your experience. I believe that the more specific we get, the more universal our stories become. So try to avoid sweeping generalizations and instead tell your truth as best you can. Now I'm going to narrate the first chapter of Below Deck. So our book begins with a prologue called Dark Pink. You dying in your twenties is not romantic, he told me. His eyes dense black, half in shadow. He shook his head. It would be a waste. I remember that we were in my living room at the time and that he didn't say anything back, but I thought about it for a long time after. The word waste. Swirling like an oil slick. I knew he was right. It would be a waste. But when I'd said I would die in my twenties, it was never about the romance of it, the old story of the young artist perishing before her time. It was more of a knowing, a knowing that it was my time. I die on the eve of the day I was born, twenty-nine, almost thirty. I've always liked the numbers twenty-nine, two and nine much more than I've ever liked thirty, three and zero. Two is red and nine dark pink. Three is uneasy green and zero is empty white. But contrary to what you might be thinking, I don't do it on purpose, not really. Then again, maybe I do. We're made up of myriad choices, aren't we? I shrug, shiver. It's cold here. On the wet stern deck, on the edge of this decade and the next. Beneath me it is dark, icebergs suspended in the grey. It is all spreading. I look across at Brooke, and she winks, and I smile, and it hurts my face. I hold my breath. Do we choose to breathe? I don't know. I still don't know. I wish she'd told me the answer. I wish she'd told me a lot of things. Like that when I finally see the green flash it will be equally amazing and dull. Or that life is a series of words and the punctuation is in all the wrong places and when you want to take a breath someone has removed the comma so you have to take one there and if you didn't too bad it's already gone. Maggie, I wish you'd told me. At sea, no one can hear you scream. Sea garden. Sea rose. Caught in the in-between, I imagine the earth is rocking. It's all back and forth, back and forth. But now I'm coming to, and there's drool cake to my chin and fur on my teeth, and I'm peeling apart puffy eyelids to see the sun through a skylight that's only a few feet above my head. The sun is swinging back and forth in the sky, and I realize the earth really is rocking. I prop myself up on one elbow. My head is pounding like someone's clobbered me with a brick. I look around and as the room comes into focus I wait for all of this to make sense, but it doesn't. The walls are curved and no wider than the bed, if you'd even call this a bed. I'm lying on a wafer-thin mattress wedged between a huge canvas bag and a fishing rod. There's a weird thumping outside, and when I look up, the sun is still swinging. I feel a tightening in my chest, a fierce contraction of my ribcage. Like my breath is caught and can't get out. Where the fuck am I? I'm wearing clothes at least. Silk dress, my denim jacket, two pink socks and one boot. I fill under my dress and I've got undies on. The contents of my bag are sprawled around the pillow. Wallet, check, cards and cash still there. I grab my phone, hands trembling. The battery is dead. Shit, I mutter. Wriggling out of bed, I I find my other boot on the floor beside a bucket full of sponges. My legs are wobbling as I clamber out of the room. I knock my head on the roof. Who the hell designed this house? I'm tall, but I'm not that tall. The earth is still rocking as I stumble into a room with a kitchenette, slung bunk, sling bunk beds, slit windows, and a table that's bolted to the floor. I feel my way through, grabbing corners and edges for balance to keep myself upright, dragging myself towards a ladder that leads to open sky. Climbing up, it takes my eyes a second to adjust. The light is piercing. Oh my God, the words are barely a whisper. In front of me is an old man wearing an oilskin jacket, an orange beanie. His skin is weathered, salt and crusted, with sunspots and a coarse white beard. Beyond him is ocean. Its surface is dark and choppy. My, sh- my body shudders, my spine curls. The horizon is impossibly far away. Morning. I stare at him blankly. He laughs. W- where am I? Sorry, he says. you have to speak up. He puts a finger to his ear, bit deaf. Where am I? I repeat, louder this time. You're on the Tasman. At my feet, there are ropes coiled around metal stumps and lines threaded up a towering pole. The old man pulls on one of the ropes and the creases in the sail above me are smoothed out, like skin pulled tight around bone. I feel the boat pucker, then lift a little. The what? The Tasman Sea, he says, pointing to the endless expanse of ocean, as if I meant to recognise this water as distinct from any other water. But more specifically, the old man says, you're on a yacht. He rests his hand on the boat's deck, and her name is Sea Rose. I feel like a hand is wrapped around my throat, squeezing. I might throw up. I I need to get off. You will. In a few days. When we get to New Zealand. The blood drains from my face. What? I'm sailing her to New Zealand and needed an extra hand. You said you wanted to come. Are you kidding? When did I say that? Last night. I sink back into alcohol-soaked hours, searching for something, anything, but last night is a gaping black hole. Why would you let me agree to this? I was legless last night. The boat rises over a wave, slams down. My head hurts. I feel bile surge at the back of my throat. You're basically kidnapping me. I'm what? Kidnapping me. You'll go to jail for this. Well, he says, reclining with a wide smile. I'll only go to jail if someone finds out. I guess I'll just have to kill you. I take half a step away and my ankle rolls on a coil of rope. I fall back, landing heavily on the deck, the wind knocked out of my lungs. Suddenly, the old man bursts into laughter, his eyes disappearing between deep wrinkles. Between bouts, he wheezes. You right, kid? I try to speak, but I can't. Look over your shoulder, he says. I clamber to my feet and turn around to see land. A stretch of beach, houses dotted between greenery, a rocky headland, a lighthouse. I know that lighthouse. It's Baron Joey, Sydney. Sydney we're still in Sydney. I turn to him. You know where you are now? I nod. We're going to the RPA Yacht Club in Newport. I need to drop my rose off for a clean. Should be there within the hour with this wind. I'm giving you a lift back to the city. Chivalry now doesn't change. I cough. I'm still winded from the fall. You kidnapped me. You, young lady, were blind. Couldn't even tell me your name. Was I supposed to let you go home like that? No. Jane and I had to carry you to the boat. Who's Jane? She manages the restaurant and the CYC. Apparently she found you in the women's bathroom. I let you sleep the night on board, woke you up this morning, said I needed to get going, and you told me to leave you be. Well, I don't remember that. The cold wind is snaking around my body. I cross my arms, trying to summon any recollection of the night before. Where did you sleep? He meets my eye. In my bed, he says, at my house. And there's something in his deadpan delivery, in the steadiness of it, that makes me believe him. He smiles gently. You don't need to worry about me, kid. I've only ever loved one woman. The smile fades and he looks beyond the horizon. And she's gone now. I relax my arms. What was her name? He rests his hand on the boat's deck again, smooths it the way you might touch a lover. Robin. Robin Rose. He clears his throat. Anyway, I didn't mean to kidnap you, but I gotta be at the boatyard by ten and assume you'd be out until we get there. Relief washes over me. This is so weird, I say, shuffling towards him, my hand outstretched, offering my hand. But whatever. My name's Olivia. He gives me his calloused, leather hand and we shake. Mac. Mac. At first glance, Mac is grey slate, cool and hard, but then he laughs and the slate ripples. I see then that he is impossibly deep, like dark ocean, inky stories twist in him like sea serpents in underwater caves. On the rare occasion on the rare occasion my dad told stories. They were painfully obvious, like etching words into sleek metal with a needle he'd trace over and over until they bled. Mac is different. His way is guiding me through crevices studded with barnacles and adorned with starfish, alive with dancing weeds. Instantly he reminds me of my pa, who could tell stories that filled any room with colour. Mac tells me about a time he and Robin got so drunk on rum on a beach in Barbados that they rowed back to the wrong boat and made love in someone else's cockpit. I lean in, his voice is like thunder beneath a roll cloud, bold and exciting, electric. I could listen to him for hours. He pauses. You cold? I shake my head. Nah, this tea is fixing me up. He smiles. Good. I'm sitting with Mac in the cockpit, wearing one of his wet weather jackets. It's huge, creasing and folding around me as I lift my arms to take a sip of tea. Thank you. You're welcome. I look past Max's shoulder. The surface of the sea is raised like pricked skin, a wash of goosebumps as autumn reaches out into winter. How old are you? he asks. You aren't meant to ask a woman her age. He snorts. You, kid, are not a woman. Excuse me? Not yet anyway. He draws the wheel closer to him and the boat tips harder on its side. Are you even old enough to drink? I'm 21, I say. Two red, one pale yellow. I can even drink in America. He rolls his eyes, a wry smile bending his lips. How's your head? Sore. Mac laughs. I bet you could barely stand last night. I feel the hairs at the ra- rays at the nape of my neck. I don't. I I don't want to know. You're right. He concedes. I'm sorry. Didn't look like it was your fault anyway. I tilt my head. What? That boy you were with, he looks like a right piece of work. And just like that, the previous evening washes over me like a wave across the deck. Dinner at the cruising yacht club on Sydney Harbour. And Adam, clean-shaven, Rolex-wearing Adam. He's my boyfriend. He left you passed out in the bathroom. We were having an argument. Though perhaps what I really mean is... Adam was having an argument with Adam and I was both in between and outside, silent, strangled. An argument about what? My my career, I guess. We're just about to finish our economics degrees. I've been offered an internship at Lazard, this big investment bank, but I told him I don't know if I'm going to take it. I explain, and I'm so ready for the usual response. What an opportunity, that at first I didn't, don't hear what Mac actually says. Sorry, I say, what 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 was that? I said, what's it got to do with him? Well, he said I was throwing away a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, I say, skimming over. I know ten guys who would kill for that gig. Skimming over. You're lucky they even gave it to you. Lucky, I think, after all that work. Sheer luck. A fluke. Mac shakes his head. And then with a certainty that sets my world on fire, says, You're your own person, Ollie. Maybe he's scared of that. I laugh. No one's ever called me that before. Ollie. Yeah. Do you like it? I smile. Yeah, I do. We watch from the restaurant as the yacht, at the yacht club as the sea rose as hoisted from the water and slung up in the shipyard. Mac has bought me a huge strawberry milkshake and a portion of chips. I mix mayonnaise and tomato sauce together on a plate until it's salmon pink, flecked with pepper. And Mac says, Your accent? You didn't grow up here, did you? I shake my head. Lived in Manly until I was five, then Hong Kong and Singapore. I slurp my milkshake. So, what brought that about? Parents work? My dad heads the southeast asia division of an oil company oil hey yep mac opens his mouth to speak then seems to change his mind he looks over to the shipyard where the sea rose is cradled above the ground i live with my grandpa in manly now i explain my dad sent me back here for uni he turns to me the business degree economics so what are you going to do now don't know lazard i guess Mac gives me a sharp look. I thought you didn't want the internship. Well, if it was up to me, I would have studied art, but Dad said he wouldn't pay for that. Silence drapes between us. I sigh. There's no money in art anyway. Mac laughs. You should meet this friend of mine. Who? Maggie. His mouth wraps around her name with the same kindness as an arm around a friend's shoulder. She was a curator in London for years. Retired now. Lives here in Sydney with me. I edge forward in my chair. That's cool. You'll like her, Mac assures me. She's an incredible woman. Well, when can I meet her? I'm coming back up here on Wednesday to sail the sea rose back down to the CYC. Maggie's coming with me. How about you join us? I think of our sail into Pittwater this morning. How hard I'd laughed. I grin. Yeah, sure, I'd love to. But no drinking Tuesday night, okay, kid? Never again, I say, my cheek's hot. Ha! Heard that before. He helps himself to the last of my chips. Come on, let's get out of here. We're strolling across the car park, the sun falling through a hole in the clouds when Mac excuses himself and tells me he'll be just a a minute and heads over to the shipyard. He walks up to the sea rose, touches his palm to the bottom of the boat. It is full and round, white with tendrils of brown algae. Mac whispers something as he smooths the fibreglass, kisses it softly, and I find myself feeling awkward suddenly, shifting my weight from one leg to another, like I'm spying on lovers, witnessing a moment reserved for someone else. In the car, Mac turns on the radio. I feel it coursing through me in a stream of soft reds. I love this song, I say. It feels very pink. Pardon me? Oh, I said, it feels very pink. Then considering how odd that must sound, I laugh sheepishly. I I don't know. It's just a feeling I have. Max shakes his head. He's smiling. I can't wait for you to meet Maggie. Maggie.
0: I love Sophie's descriptions of Ollie at sea, and Mac is such a warm character, but you can already feel the tension lurking in the background. Below Deck by Sophie Hardcastle is out now and published by Allen & Unwin in Australia. It was interesting to hear Sophie talk about how she's a disciplined writer, dedicating time each week to her writing. If you're looking to develop your own regular writing routine, then our writing workout program is perfect for you. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Do you want to bridge the gap between being a beginner writer and a novelist? Our course, Writing Workout, is like a writing gym where you'll strengthen your foundation techniques. You'll be given exercises to stretch your writing muscles, receive regular feedback from an experienced writing coach, and you'll make connections with like-minded writers. You'll emerge from this course with improved writing techniques, greater confidence in your storytelling, and a much deeper understanding of your own narrative voice. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash workout. Thanks for listening to this special episode of So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find more details about the podcast and a wealth of writing resources and courses at writerscentre.com.au. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writer Centre. Connect with us on social media at writercentreau on Twitter and Instagram and join our free podcast listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Both Alison and I will be back to our regular programming in your next episode. Thanks for listening and I look forward to chatting to you again next time.